Amen. That was a great intro to set me up. Wow. And that was a pretty sweet video. All right. Well, this is a privilege to share with you. Um, This is very timely for me to share this message in my life right now. And uh, I pray that you would be really encouraged. That would be my desire for you. And so what I love doing in the new year, January 1st every year, is I love reflecting on the past year. I love thinking back to what happened and just pouring out my heart with, for, towards God for the new year. That's something that I've always done. And so when I pulled out my journal on January 1st, I saw that it had the word hope in it. And I had purchased this book from Living Books through Wendy Kasdorf at our church. And it was just, this is the one I grabbed. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I, so I did my thing. And then over the next few days, I started to see the word hope everywhere. So I was on Facebook and no matter where I was scrolling, um, you can show the image. This image would pop up and it had started with a teacher that I had taught with in Regina and she had posted and then a number of people had shared it. Um, But yeah, if you could show that image, there's a, a hope image that kept appearing on my feed regularly. Hope 2021, and I would see this every few days. And then I started to notice these hope signs around the city. I don't know if you've seen them. You can put up the next image. Um, but there was one on Idlewild. There's one on Miller. There's, they're on the back of buses. And I don't know if you can read that clearly, but it says hope. And then there's a picture of the manger, and it says Christ is born. And these were around the city, and I was seeing them everywhere. And I was like, Lord, are you like trying to get my attention or something? Because I was seeing the word hope constantly. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to dig into the word hope a little bit and just like, what does hope actually even mean anyway? So I spent some time um, looking up the Hebrew and the Greek meanings of hope and looking up all the different scriptures that that had the word hope in it. And I don't have time to, to share all that today, but I just want to share what God showed me through that. Um, the regular dictionary definition of hope means a feeling of expectation or a desire for a certain thing to happen. So we all hope that 2021 is going to be a better year year, right? We hope we don't get COVID. We hope that we can run camp this summer for our kids and youth. I hope my kids can go back and play sports. But the reality is I don't have a guarantee of any of those things. And so that's where my hope is. I might be disappointed. But as I looked up what the biblical definition of hope was, I realized that I can have hope anytime, no matter what my circumstances, no matter what situation I'm in, no matter how I feel, Biblical hope actually goes beyond this life into eternity. And so the biblical definition of hope, I'm kind of combining a bunch of the Greek and Hebrew words, it's a forward look with assurance, confident expectation of what God has promised because of his faithfulness. I'm going to read that again. A forward look with assurance, a forward look, confident expectation of what God has promised because of his faithfulness. The amazing thing is I don't have to grasp for hope. Colossians 1.27 tells me Christ in me is the hope of glory. The God of all hope lives within you if you're a believer. And Christ in me brings with him all the glorious things that are going to come. 
Let's read Romans 8, 17 to 25 together. And I'm going to read in the New Living Translation. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when, we'll, when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. When I read that scripture in the light of my new understanding of hope, I'm just like, wow, that puts into perspective all of our current realities. It really does. So at Christmas, I told you that I was going to watch the Nativity movie. I don't know if anyone took me up on my suggestion, but I watched it. And um, I got more stuff out of it. God speaks to me every time I watch that movie. And so the opening scene of that movie is this awful scene where Herod's soldiers are on horses and they're barging into people's homes in the town of Bethlehem and grabbing any baby boy two years old and younger to kill them. So even though Jesus had been miraculously born and came as the promised Messiah in that town of Bethlehem, all of a sudden there's incredible tragedy in that same place. All because of a jealous, fearful king. Jesus had no intention of taking Herod's throne. And Jesus' arrival as the Messiah didn't instantly fix Herod's brokenness or the results of that brokenness. And there was a lot of pain in that town of Bethlehem that night and for years to come. Many were affected by Herod's choices. And then the movie goes on to show when Zechariah is visited by the angel, um, telling him that he is going to have, his barren wife is going to have a son and he is to name him John. And they show Elizabeth giving birth to, to John and the excitement around that. And that John's birth was prophetically foretold by the prophets the same way Jesus' birth was. But yet, how does John's story end? He's doing the very thing God has called him to do. Preparing the way for the Messiah. Preaching repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he gets thrown into prison and beheaded. 
That's not supposed to happen. He was the miraculous child of John and Elizabeth. That's not how the story is supposed to end. So these stories are very sobering and they're painful and they remind us of our own world full of pain and suffering and things we don't understand and things that don't seem right and things that do not seem fair. And they bring us back to the reality of all of our lives. So as Dallas said, as we do this Loving Well series, we must realize that God is after our hearts and he is after us to have a deeper, more intimate, loving relationship with him. And he wants us to love ourselves more, to see ourselves as who we are as his kids, and he wants us to move in love towards others. And the thing is, is that God uses everything for our discipleship. Pastor Dallas says that all the time. He reminds me when I'm in my bad attitude moments that God uses everything for our discipleship. It's not just when you're sitting here at church and you feel God speak to you through worship or you're reading your Bible or you're in a life group. God uses everything. He uses the times you're offended and he uses the times that you're disappointed and the times you're frustrated and the times you're confused, the times where you're walking out a tragedy, the times that you're struggling and don't understand what's going on. He wants to use all those times for our discipleship of growing in love towards him, ourselves, and others. But the question is, will you let him? Will you let him use those times? So I became a Christian when I was seven, but for some reason in my 20s, um, I realized, well, I didn't at the time, but my theology was not very biblical. Um, The Bible is full of the reality of difficulties in life and struggles and trials, but I didn't see that part of the Bible. I just saw the good stuff. Um, And so I believed as a 20-some-year-old that following Jesus equated to a problem-free life. I interpreted that his blessings and his favor upon me, which the Bible talks about, meant things would go well in my life. It meant things would actually go my way and the way I wanted. Now, I wouldn't have said that probably outright to you, but in hindsight, I realized that's what I really thought. And I actually remember when I was a single young adult, I remember being around people that were having struggles with their children or couples that were fighting or, or people struggling with finances or with health issues. And I remember in my mind going, that's not going to be my story because I'm going to do things God's way. And when you do things God's way, that stuff doesn't happen. I'm serious. And I'm being pretty honest here. And so I hope I'm not the only one in the room that, that, that had such terrible theology. But I actually believed subconsciously that God owed me a certain kind of life because I had faithfully followed him. I hadn't, I hadn't walked away from him. I had accepted him and lived for him up to that point. And so God owed me something. And so don't get me wrong. My life wasn't perfect. I had lots of issues in my life and God had, I had struggled as a young girl and as a teenager with tons of insecurity. Um, And then as I moved into my 20s, I had a lot of fear of failure. It was really important for me to do everything right, because if I didn't, then that was a failure. And juggling a million balls in the air was really important for me. And I was pretty good at keeping those balls all in the air. 
Um, and, and so during this time, my parents also got divorced while I was in university. Um, but these things didn't seem to really rock my world or, or rock my faith. In fact, God was, I was, God was working in my heart. God was drawing me closer to him during this time. Um, he was bringing healing to my identity, and he was... Um, like, he really showed me who I was through my time in university, and it was a very positive time in my life. But there was, I was very unaware, let's say, of a lot of things below the surface in my life. Um, in previous messages, we've talked about the iceberg. And um, there was definitely, I was seeing the tip and not what was really under the water. So you might, you might hear me say all this and see it as clear as day, but I didn't see it. I didn't see my pride. I didn't see my judgmental attitude. I didn't see that I thought I was better than others. Um, I didn't see my self-sufficiency. I didn't see my, that my perfectionistic tendencies and my need to do everything right were actually rooted in fear, not in a desire to love God. It wasn't rooted out of love for God. It was very rooted in fear. Um, and all these balls I kept juggling in the air were actually what made me feel good about myself because I was pretty together and I handled a lot and I was gifted and I could make a difference. And, and my identity was very much wrapped up in my performance and my accomplishments. So when I was 26, God in his sovereignty blessed me with the gift of a wall <laughs> or what ancients would call it, like St. John of the Cross, the dark night of the soul. Now, this is more than a trial, like Dallas alluded to. Um, this is a full-out wall that stops you in your tracks. It's not like just some arrows flying at you that you get hit with, but it's a full-out wall that's all of a sudden in front of you that you have no idea how you're going to get through, and the wall goes on forever, so it's not like you can really get around it. Um, so your choice is to somehow get through it or back away and get out of there and not face what's in front of you. It was a slow deep season of pain and disillusionment. Now, according to Pete, I always say his name wrong, Pete Scacero, um, he says that every believer will confront a wall once or multiple times in their life and that 85% of evangelicals will actually not go through their wall and move forward in maturity. And based on my personal sphere of friends from my 20s, I had a lot of friends hit their wall and throw away their faith and walk away from God. A lot of friends, very disillusioned when that wall dropped in front of them and they couldn't handle it. They didn't know what was going on. They were mad at God and they threw away their faith. So I'm going to read to you um, the definition or just a description of the wall that will help you understand what it is. And then I'll share more details of what my wall looked like. So you can throw up that quote. It says, For most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled, a spiritual dryness or a loss of joy in our relationship with God. We question ourselves, God and the church. 
we discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it is on the line. We don't know where God is, what he is doing, where he is going, and how he is getting us there, or when this will be over. It, the wall, is not simply a one-time event that we pass through and get beyond. It appears to be something we return to as part of our ongoing relationship with God. The first time I did this course and I read that description, I went, oh, that's what I went through. Because everything that that said described exactly what I had gone through. And it was so encouraging to realize, oh, this is good. This isn't a bad thing. This is part of my faith journey. And so you can throw up the next graphic. Um, this is kind of an uh, illustration of kind of what can happen in our lives. And so this is exactly how it unfolded for me. Um, for some of you, it might be different. But stage one, um, we begin our relationship with Jesus. We realize we need him. We have this awareness of him. And then stage two, I wouldn't call that discipleship because really the whole thing is discipleship. But this would be the initial stage of discipleship. It's that time of learning about the Bible, learning about who Jesus is, learning what it means to be his follower. Um, you become part of a church community. You start doing spiritual disciplines like reading your Bible and praying and sharing your faith and giving. Then stage three, you move into an active life um, where you begin serving. And so at this stage, um, you don't want to just sit, come to church. You want to get involved. You want to use your gifts. You want to serve Jesus and you want to serve others. And then somewhere after that time, bang, <laughs> the wall appears. And you didn't cause that wall. It just kind of hits you in the face. And the wall is very tied with stage four, which is the inward journey. One can, the inward journey could trigger the wall or the wall can trigger the inward journey. But at that stage, there's an intense crisis of faith where God wants to do a transformative work deep within you, but you can get stuck. You can literally get stuck there and stay at that place and keep serving and keep learning and, and stay there. Or you can completely abandon your faith at that time. And like I said, I know people that have done both. And I also know... And I should say that if you stay stuck there, you're not a happy camper. It's not like, yay, life is great. You are confused and you're angry and you're disillusioned and life is not fun. It's not working. Um, but then if you allow God to bring you through the wall, there's more on the other side. Stage five is where you continue to serve again, but it's from a totally different place. It's a foundational place of being deeply rooted and grounded in who God is and his love for you. It's not, it's not for all the unhealthy reasons that I was functioning in before. Um, it's just a different place. And then, of course, our ultimate goal is to be transformed by love, where everything that we do, every interaction we have, how we function is all about God's love flowing through us to ourselves, back and forth to him and to each other, um, and that there is no fear. Fear is not a motivator at all, because Love has cast out all that fear and that it's just all about surrender and obedience to him. And so I just want to show you that graphic just to kind of see how this kind of fits in with our faith journey. So I alluded in, when I spoke in November, I alluded to my wall. I didn't call it that, but I told you about my burnout experience. Um, and that's what triggered the wall for me. 
And so during this time, I plunged into a deep darkness where God literally felt like a million miles away. I was in ministry at the time. I was doing a dream job that I loved. I was on staff at a Bible school, and I was getting to teach. I was leading mission teams. I was discipling young people. I was um, doing administration for the school. I was doing everything that I loved. And, um, but God felt it started to feel a million miles away, and all these balls that I had in the air started to all fall down. Um, I plunged into depression. I couldn't cope. I was an emotional mess. Um, the volcano that I had of stuffed emotions from my childhood that I had never really dealt with violently erupted. It was not a pretty, pretty little oozing out. It was a violent eruption that was not pretty. Um, I was super angry at God and the church. Um, Pastor Dave Wells was my pastor at the time. Some of you have met him. And I took a strip off him. <laughs> I was mad. I was like, I was, I was believing a lot of lies in my head. So I, I said to him, I'm like, you don't care at, about me at all. All you care about is what I can do at this church. And because I can't do anything right now, you don't love me anymore. And I, I was just, my whole sense of value and worth was just so warped um, and I wanted to hide and isolate. I wanted, I, going to church was way too painful for me. I felt so much shame and failure. And I started doubting everything that I had been taught. I started doubting what God had shown me. I started doubting, did I, was I even saved? Like, did I have a relationship with God? Um, and I started to question God's goodness, exactly what the enemy had Adam and Eve do in the garden. Um, I started to question his goodness. Um... Singing songs at church was impossible because I didn't believe the words anymore. Anything about his goodness was like, <laughs> he is not good. Um, and so I was mad. I was like, God, I am serving you in ministry. I love you. I've been following you since I was a little girl. I spend time with you every day. How could you let this happen to me? Like, this is what I get for being faithful. I don't deserve this. I was mad. And I was like, if this is Christianity, I'm not interested. No thanks. Now that's a bit of a crisis. <laughs> um, and you guys probably don't even believe that, that that's where I once was. But um, it was pretty yucky. You can ask my husband. He was, we were newly married and all of this. Um, and so I had never struggled with drugs or alcohol. Like that wasn't never a temptation for me because I was a good girl that walked with Jesus, right? But all of a sudden I'm going, oh, I want to get out of this darkness. How can I numb this pain? And I find my, found my mind going like, oh, maybe I should just like drink it all away. I don't know. Um, I was just, I had no idea where God was in all this. Uh, suicide definitely crossed my mind multiple times. Um, I just wanted out of the darkness. And God was... Like I said, a million miles away. And so I didn't handle this time very well. I wasn't, I wasn't like, oh, thanks, Jesus, for the gift of the wall. Um, I was not doing that at that time. Um, I was very hardened towards God for many months, which obviously just extended the process. Um, but at the end of the day, I knew I had nowhere else to go. I had experienced Jesus enough in my life. I had experienced his love. I had experienced his healing. I had experienced his, just the transformation he had done. I knew his presence. I knew I, his voice. I couldn't deny any of that. And so I knew, just like the disciples said, like, where else do we have to go? Like, I don't know where else to go. Like, I know you're the answer. I, I, don't, I can't go anywhere else. And so I knew that he would eventually bring me through. 
Now, there was no quick fix to this dark night for me. Um, this was a very painful journey, and I, I don't remember exactly when I came out of it, but it affected me for years. I remember four years after I plunged into this, I, I shared um, in a healthy place what I had gone through, so I know that I didn't fail fully on the other side of the wall for about four years which is a long time. But on, that other, but on the other side of that wall, there was definitely transformation in my life. Um, going through it felt like pure hell at times, um, but I, it changed my life, and it's changed how, who I am as a person, and it's changed how I do ministry, and it's definitely changed how I view life. And so I know in future messages, Pastor Dallas, I think, is going to be talking about, a me- talking about the benefits of moving through a wall and how to move through a wall. But I just want to share, just so I don't leave you totally hanging, um, I want to share why I call it a gift, why I call that wall experience a gift, because I really did gain some precious, precious treasures in that time. And so one of those treasures was that I became very aware of my own brokenness and my sin and how much I needed Jesus. Um, I'd always taken pride in my togetherness and, and in being a good girl and making good choices. I, I, knew, I, I knew salvation was a gift, but I, I think my mentality was like I kind of earned it too um, because of the kind of kid I was, which is not true. It doesn't matter how <laughs> good you think you are. You can't earn salvation. Um, and so I just, I, God, I saw the ugliness of my heart. <laughs> in all its fullness. And I saw the depths of my need for a savior. And um, God has put his finger on a lot of different things in my life that I already alluded to. But it was a purging experience where God stripped that stuff away. I, I, did, I wasn't aware of what he was doing, but through that process, he stripped some of those things away and, and rewired me. This week, Amy was... Um, just at one of our prayer nights for prayer and fasting, she was playing a song, and I hadn't heard this song before, and I can't even remember what it's called right now, but um, I looked up the lyrics, and the lyrics were, I'm not here for blessings, Jesus. You don't owe me anything, and more than anything than you can do, anything that you can do, I just want you. And I would say that's, the wall brought me to that place. Um, I can say that now and mean it fully from my heart that I I just want you, Jesus. You don't owe me anything. It's not about the blessings. It's not about what you can do for me. Um, Before my wall experience, I I definitely wanted the blessings. (laughs) And I definitely wanted, he definitely owed me some things. And it was subconscious. Don't get me wrong. Like this was deep inside. I wasn't even aware of it until I went through the wall and then I realized it. Another treasure that I gained through the wall was compassion and empathy towards others going through struggles. Um, I hate to say this, but I was definitely that person that didn't have a lot of tolerance for you if you were struggling. Um, I had a lot of pat answers. I was one of those people that was like, what's your problem? Like, just pray. Like, trust God. Like, I was one of those people. And it, I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I was simply, I just... That had always worked for me, that my Christianity had worked for me that way for years. And all of a sudden, I went through something where that didn't work anymore. And, and so I, I definitely, I had people that would say to me, Brianna, we can't relate to you because you're too perfect. And I wasn't perfect, but I, I heard that as a compliment. Like actually when they said that to me at that time, I heard that as a compliment. 
That wasn't a compliment. That wasn't a compliment at all. Um, I mean, that's a smack in the face. Like, Brianna, wake up. Um, and so God knew I needed to go through this. My heart has been ministry ever since I was a young girl, right? So if I'm going to be ministering to people with that kind of attitude, I'm a little dangerous. A little dangerous. Um, and so, like, thank God. <laughs> thank God he brought me to that place. Because the other side was totally different. And I realized this um, when I first started getting involved with the youth group here at The Rock. Um, back in the day, we didn't cap out at 18. We had young adults. So we had people in their 20s, right, Chrissy? Um, people in their 20s that were coming to youth group. And so I remember this young man one day, one of our young adults, just screaming like we were outside the building. So we weren't contained. We were outside for everyone to hear. And he's just screaming at heaven and shaking his fist and telling God how mad he is with a whole ki all kinds of colorful language. And... He's like, God, where were you when this happened in my life? Why did this happen? And he's just given it to God. And I knew I was different by my reaction to that situation because my reaction was, buddy, I get it. I understand. God can handle your anger. God can handle your questions. He loves you. He's with you. He understands how you feel. The Brianna before the wall, I hate to say it, probably would have said something like, Hey, buddy, watch the language. How dare you talk to God like that? Like that probably would have been, sadly, what I would have said instead. So, I'm glad I went through the wall for that reason. Another treasure was I gained a greater understanding of God's sovereignty. Um, control is something that I think all of us have to learn to let go of more and more, but I was... Like I said, I thought I was in control of my world and God was going to do things my way and how I wanted them done. And for some reason, I felt justified in being able to tell the God of the universe how to do it. Um, and so I realized through that that I'm not God. <laughs> I don't want to be God. Um, and I do not see the whole picture and that he is absolutely worthy, um, no matter what my circumstances are like. I remember coming out of this, um, the song Blessed Be Your Name was popular in this time. And that be kind of became my anthem song. Because that song talks about, um, blessed be your name when I'm in the desert. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. Blessed be your name when I'm on the road marked with suffering. Blessed be your name when I'm in the land that's plentiful. No matter what I'm in, I choose to say, blessed be your name. And that was a huge change and shift in my heart when I realized that God is worthy of all my praise and all my worship no matter what's going on. And when I, would start, when I was able to start praising God in my darkness, that brought some breakthrough big time when I realized, no, God is still good. I don't understand what I'm going through. I don't know, understand what's going on in my life, but he is still good. He is still faithful. He is still trustworthy. And when, I, when that became truth to me, even though my circumstances and my feelings didn't line up with that, that's when real transformation started to begin. So obviously when I started to understand the wall and I started to understand um, 
what the dark night of the soul was. It, it shed light on my life, but it also shed light on the Bible. I, read, I started to read the Bible differently and see things differently. And so you look at someone like David, King David. You know, here's this young shepherd boy that's been anointed to be king. He didn't ask to be anointed. He was sovereignly chosen. Um, and he kills Goliath in this victorious battle. And his life should be great, right? He should just go sit on the throne and everything be great from there. But no, for 13 years, he's in a, at a wall. He's in a dark night where he's running for his life from a jealous king again. These jealous kings, I tell you. And he is away from his family. He's away from his home. He's away from security. I, I don't know, like... The king of Israel shouldn't have to live like that, right? But for 13 years, that was his place. And we see the depths of his despair and the depths of his confusion. And God, where are you? And why is this happening to me? We see that in the Psalms. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, David went through a wall. And David was transformed to be a man after God's own heart through that wall. And then I look, at David, I look at Abraham and I think, you know, God calls Abraham out of the land that he had grown up in and calls him away from his family to go to this land that God would show him and that he's going to become a father of great nation, or father of many nations, and he's going to have as many offspring as the sands on the seashore, and he is going to be blessed. And then what's his journey? Waiting for 25 years for the promise of his son. But before that, they kind of got impatient and jumped the gun 11 years in and said, okay, this isn't happening, so let's have a son through Hagar, the maidservant. And then, you know, Ishmael growing up and having to send Ishmael away and the hurt that would have caused Abraham's heart. And then, and then 14 years later, finally, the promised son arrives, only for God to ask him 10 to 15 years later or whenever it was to sacrifice him. Like, can you imagine? Like, the Bible doesn't tell us this, and maybe Abraham handled it all well, but I'm not sure. Um, like, can you imagine the confusion that would have been? Like, God, what are you thinking? Like, why did I ever leave the land of Ur? Like, why did I ever follow you? What kind of God are you? Like, really? This was not my idea to be the father of many nations and not my idea to have as many kids as the, as the sand of the seashore. So you finally give me a kid <laughs> after 25 years, and now you want me to kill him? Like, just the hopelessness of that and the despair of that and the anger. And, like, the, the, the gods of that time demanded human sacrifice. But Abraham would have thought, no, my, this God's different. This God's different, but I guess not. Like, Abraham, Abraham had been through so much, and none of it made sense. That's not what I call blessing, Right? supposed to be blessed I wouldn't call that blessing but Abraham wasn't aware of the bigger picture that was going on little did he know that on that exact mountain that's where God would sacrifice his son to redeem mankind that God would provide a way for man to be restored to him to God and God revealed himself to Abraham on that mountain as a provider, but Abraham didn't see the full picture of what was going on. You can read Hebrews 11 to see how many of those patriarchs and the people in the Old Testament didn't see the full picture, what was going on, and they didn't get what they were, they didn't get their promises in full. They didn't, they didn't get the fullness of what God had for them because there was so much more going on than what they were experiencing. 
you know, the Jews, when Jesus came, they weren't aware that their spiritual redemption needed to trump um, their physical deliverance. They weren't aware of that. They weren't looking to be restored to God. They were wanting freedom from their Roman oppressors. They wanted out of their problems. They wanted God to fix it. And they didn't know there was a much more important picture going on that needed to happen. And often we too want our situations fixed. We want our dark nights to go away. And we do not see that God is desiring to bring about his purposes in our lives through what we're currently going through and that there is a bigger picture. This is very cliche, but it is so true that it is not about our comfort. It's about our character. God is not interested in just making our life easy, right? He is interested in our discipleship. He's interested in our relationship with him and our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with others. And he is passionate about pursuing that because it's not just about this life. It is a bigger picture, And so he trusts us. He invites us to trust him to take a step towards him in the midst of our realities. Like Dallas said, to bring our stuff to him, to bring our realities to him. He wants us to take a step towards him to actually surrender. And the problem is, most of my life, my hands were clenched like this. This is my life, and it's going to go this way, and God, you're going to do it how I want, and this stuff isn't going to happen to me. And that has not been my reality. Um, and so to, open, to surrender is to actually open my hands from that tight grip we have over our circumstances and our desired ends. And it's to let go of our limited understanding of our situations in exchange for the long-range vision that only he can see. We can't see it. But transformation comes when I surrender to his love and to his plan. So I'm just going to go back to my journal, my hope journal, and I'm going to read you what I wrote when God showed me what he showed me that day about hope. And I'm just going to close with this. So I wrote down this verse. It's not on the screen, but I wrote down this verse, 1 Peter 5.10. After you suffer for a short time, God who gives all grace will make everything right. He will make you strong and support you and keep you from falling. He called you to share in his glory in Christ, a glory that will continue forever. So this is what I wrote in my, in my journal. I said, my hope isn't that life will go my way. It isn't that life will be easy and problem-free. It's a forward look to the future. It's an anticipation beyond this life. It's clinging to a promise for what will be because of the down payment of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's beyond the here and now. It's confident expectation of who wins in the end. There is joy and pleasure in the waiting, in the confusing in between, and in the struggle. The hope is that one day I will enter your glory and all things will be made right. I will be transformed fully into your character. You will finish the work you started in me and I will experience the fullness of your presence and your redemption. I will be one with you And all the suffering and hardship on this earth will be in the shadow of your glory. Because Romans 8.18 says, I consider that my present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Hope is possible. Hope has come. And hope is mine. Amen.